All right, Laura, thanks for uh, being on the podcast, on the Headache Doctor podcast. Well, thank you for having me, Jono. Yeah, so I want you to, we we have a lot that uh, we have in common as far as both having our training as physical therapists and then finding this this niche within our respective areas and uh, leaning into that and really creating a product and something that's really valuable for people. And so that's why I think this conversation is going to be uh, valuable for our listeners. But I want to start off with just giving our listeners background into who you are, um, maybe where your journey started. And if that starts as, you know, in physical therapy school or before, um, I'll let you have the floor with just sharing who you are and, and how you became passionate about what you're passionate about. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm passionate about health and wellness and movement because it's life. You know, I always say movement is life. It's, it's really not something that should be an afterthought. And I think that is just hardwired in me because that's, I grew up moving. I'm one of four. I have three brothers. I'm actually a triplet. Um, so two boys and me came out at the same time and we have an, you know, an older brother. So we were like a little pack of movers. And at that time, um, a lot of the athletics, like you know, I'm kind of dating myself, but they weren't as welcoming to girls at the time. So, but I would join like the boys stuff and I always played with my brother. So I was, um, I just love the com- kind of friendly competitiveness of it. I've loved um, the athleticism of moving my body and figuring out, you know, different kind of coordinations and techniques for whatever sports. So I, I just, that was hardwired. And I feel like that's an advantage for um, me and doing what I am now because I've never had to be convinced of it. Like it was just in my cells. And I also knew my dad was an orthopedic surgeon. So I grew up in a very inquisitive, um, intellectual, health-focused environment. And I went to school thinking that I would want, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon because I'd always been interested in the brain. My dad would talk a lot about neurology because he was really into quantum physics. He was, he was like a, a, like very much a, a well-rounded, um, intelligent human. And, you know, some orthopods don't get that credit (laughs) as that like ex athlete, but, um, he was really so remarkable. And so I was really inspired to do something in medicine and wellness. And I also just, Simultaneously, that had always been been in fitness. I uh, my senior year in high school, I ran cross country, kind of just because the coach asked me to. Because my brother was really good, he's like, "I think you're good too." And then I ended up running in college. But after my brother and I, I've told this story before sometimes. But my brother and I ran um, cross country, and then he said, "You know, once the season was over, hey, you want to run a marathon?" I was like, "Sure." We had no training, and we just went and did it. And I actually wrote my college essay about that. And it was about the mind-body connection really before, you know, this is when I was 18 years old. I I hadn't heard of yoga or this kind of mindfulness or anything. But again, I knew from a cellular level how, how integrated that is, how when you're moving, you feel different than when you're stagnant. Um, And so, um, and we ran that and, and the only way we, made it was because of our mind. Like I knew Mm -hmm. that at like 21 miles, I wanted to give up. And I, you know, I was young enough. I'd never prepared for it, but, and I don't recommend it, but, um, it really (laughs) is a mental thing. And we, we know this anytime you do any kind of, um, rigorous endurance, something different, it, it is a lot of the mental, um, challenge. So, 
Then I went to college and I decided not to go to med school because I really was like, you know what? The lifestyle is not going to be great. I saw my dad's, you know, eight to eight every day and on call. And so I pivoted and decided to become a PT, mainly because someone had told me like, oh, you'd be a great PT. And I didn't really even know much about physical therapy. I'd never had it myself. Like a lot of PTs experience it. And like, it was so, Mm -hmm. I'd never had that, but I, um, you know, I was talking to my dad and he said, I think it's a great thing. Cause I was thinking about physician's assistant and he's like, no, Laura, you are way too dominant. This is not where you want to go. It's a very <laughs> subordinate position. And he goes, PT is autonomous. You have, um, your own control. It's, it's, you have a great relationships and, and time that you can have with a, a client. And, and then I, then I did like, I think what you were mentioning, I, I shadowed and I just thought, wow, these, they're having fun. This looks great, yeah. you know? And so I went to um, grad school for PT and probably when I entered grad school, thought I was going to do sports medicine. Like I was talking to you about how you did soccer and did you want to go into sports medicine? So, cause that's what, what I was familiar with and knew. And then I went and got a great rehab job um, where I was working with older clients. I was working with neurologically impaired and I loved it. It was a completely different population that I thought I would go toward. And then I was so into learning about, um, you know, how we can help neurologically impaired clients. I went and got my specialization in what's called neurodevelopmental training, which is really um, looking at how we can re- neuroplasticity, how we can rewire movement after there's been damage to the brain or just through habits. And so that is my background and got really into that. And um, at the same time, I was teaching aerobics. I got certified in yoga. Um, I discovered yoga and really loved it and really got into teaching yoga. And after I'd been teaching for about five or six years, I was at the same time working with really neurologically impaired clients like stroke patients. And I had one and I was doing all the stuff on the floor, um, all of that, those developmental stages. Mm-hmm. Because you get so much feedback from the floor, you get some support for the center of gravity, and the, and you can really go into that hard wiring of the brain from those early patterns that we developed when we were going from the womb and then to being bipedal. And you can tap into that again and help, you know, the rewiring of some of the areas that have been damaged. So he and many others were making incredible strides in what we were doing And I thought, well, what would it be like if I applied this to an able-bodied person, right? Because Mm -hmm. we all have some kind of um, habitual patterns that just occur. I mean, if you're sitting at a desk, you know, studying, you know how grad school is. We're just, we're in it. And it's, there's not a lot of movement variability. And with that, there can be some compensations and some postural imbalances, et cetera. So could I, in fact, apply those principles to my able-bodied self and see what would happen. So I did that. And my own practice really just changed dramatically in terms of the control, in terms of the postural control, the proximal control, the responsiveness of my core, meaning I could do, I could practice in a more advanced way, but not just for the sake of it, not for like, woo, celebration, you know, like, like a gold star, but how it felt. And so I started, um, just weaving that into my, um, practice and teaching and slowly created this, what is now called the lip method, which is combining my physical therapy background with yoga poses and some principles really to create this kind of comprehensive movement experience that, um, 
ultimately is there to help rewire and reinforce better movement patterns for life because we want to be moving well for a long time. So there it is in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So a few things jumped out to me that I think are, if I'm going to play that back to you with some highlights, you talked about this mind-body connection. So Mm -hmm. I want to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, and also the the term neuroplasticity. Um, we I, I personally talk about our central nervous system and how we respond to pain. And so whether I've used that term or not, it's um, it's something that we talk a lot about on this podcast. And so uh, maybe let's just start with defining neuroplasticity and, and what that means in the neurological system, because a lot of my listeners, um, are not coming from a medical background, but this neuroplasticity thing is so cool. And I think that if I were going to sum up what, what you're passionate about, it's just seeing this sort of revelation or the impact of neuroplasticity on, on the body and movement and how we incorporate it in, uh, to day-to-day life. Yeah. So neuroplasticity is, is basically the, um, concept that the brain and the nervous system can change. It's not rigid. You know, it used to be thought, and not that far ago, you know, not that long ago, um, you know, within, I would say, the past half century, that, you know, most of your brain development happened until about age eight. And after that, there was not a lot of things that would change it. And that was, that's kind of like a bummer to think about, like anything you learn, knowledge, um, apply, challenge is not going to necessarily change the brain. Well, of course, they realize that's not true. It's, there are things that can make it more challenging um, because when you're learning something for for the first time, like those developmental things, those are actually, so you're growing the brain by, through our movement. So our going from this kind of helpless floppy baby to being bipedal required these developmental stages where we developed the postural control and muscles and coordination, and we were growing the brain, so the gray matter of the brain, um, you know, 80% of it is involved in movement, which is a huge amount. It's also involved in memory and um, processing. So, you know, we, through movement, what neuroplasticity shows, shows is that we can change the brain, we can grow the brain, we can make the brain more intelligent. And I don't mean like academically intelligent. I mean that the connections, the wiring are stronger and reinforced and more complex. So, you know, there's complex networking of these neurons that string together. And the more we challenge the that, we grow it. And that's the idea of neuroplasticity is we can we can adapt and we can change. You know, anything that is going to evolve or grow has to have challenge placed on it. And that's the same with the brain. So if you're doing the same thing, not really reading much, you know, just kind of what you, you're not really going to change the brain a lot. If you want to grow the brain to make it more adaptable, more intelligent, um, and, you know, really that responsiveness I talk a lot about too, and I'm sure you do as well, this communication of body and brain and systems to the brain, because the brain is basically the CEO in charge of everything. And so we want our CEO to be adaptable, not sitting back, you know, feet up on the table, drinking coffee and not changing anything um, when things aren't working well, you know. And so that neural plasticity just gives us hope, you know, and that's, I think, 
I think hope for change is probably more powerful medicine than almost anything. And that's the problem when you deal with people with chronic pain or a chronic condition. Um, they they can get that kind of rigid mindset. This will never be different. And, in, and it might not be if you don't kind of change in this form of neuroplasticity. So I think just knowing that potential is there is amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I as as you're talking, uh, one of the things that I try to do is sort of like re- remove. Um, so in our education, both for me, it was exercise science as an undergrad, and then going through the physical therapy degree. Um, there's almost a basic level of understanding of like the body and how it moves and the adaptations or compensations that we get ourselves into. Um, and so, talking about neuroplasticity. And I think you did this so well, but our, yeah, our, our brains, as you explained, our, our brains sort of intuitively, I think people think can be challenged academically. And obviously we know we're, we're trying to get smarter. We're trying to retain information. We're trying to learn how to problem solve. Those things are intuitive for people. I think what's not intuitive is thinking about our musculoskeletal system as really needing to adapt. I mean, everyone's got a shoulder. Everyone has these muscles. The muscles contract and relax. There's, you know, there's cartilage, there's ligaments, there's tendons. Like what, what are we talking about when we talk about adapting or changing or how does the brain really change something? And you use the term proximal, the core, this, the, the parts of our body that allow us to be stable. What needs to change there? What, what's the problem that's happening? Oh, wow. That's, um, well, the big, I, I think the number one problem that um, is, I think the most obvious one, is we aren't moving enough in a variety of ways. And that movement variability, just think of it as like this beautiful, complex ecosystem that we can move in a variety of ways. That's how our body, you know, was engineered to do. And the brain responds to that. So it responds to like, if I want to pivot really quickly on the soccer field or something, um, just like if I were slipping down the stairs, I want my, my nervous system to respond to that because that would be safe. Right. But it's also responsive in that, that I can move in the ways that I want as I want when I want. And that requires that we train those movement patterns. We train the variability and our, Modern day lifestyle doesn't lend itself to that. You know, we when we started, um, if you look at children, for instance, we always think of like, look what you could do when you were kids. Well, the reason is they were free. <laughs> they were moving around until they went to school and then they were sitting. And then it's not just the sitting, it's the it's the sitting and staying stationary for long periods, year after year after year. And then what do you do after college? Well, you graduate and you get a job. And a lot of those jobs are doing the same thing. So you're just dulling all that great information into the brain that challenges it. Movement variability, load, you know, endurance. All of that is being cha- is being dulled because you don't have to work. Like we are also at the same time from a very prim my 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 undergrad was biological anthropology and anatomy. So I mean, it's very fascinating to look at like evolution and how there's certain things that have changed that really had to do with our lifestyles changing, you know? So, um, we, we were really not made to be stationary and, and our brain doesn't respond to that either. Like 
any, no one can really be, and they've shown this, like the, um, the cortex, we're, we're not going to stay like alive and perky for long periods of time. So productivity is like this kind of false umbrella. You're going to be more productive when you actually get up, move around, shake things up, get your, get your blood flowing, your heart rate, and then coming back and, and then focusing. Your brain is like fr- refreshed. It's like it got a little heartbeat up there, you know? So I think the biggest problem is lifestyle. And lending to that, when you are stationary for long periods of time, you don't, even though you're doing very little, there's very requ- very little required in your core, those proximal stabilizers, because you're kind of sitting in a chair and, you know, your center of mass is supported, you've got something behind. Um, all those things are dulled down. And ironically, you're not doing anything, but you're also, you get tired. And that, to me, is the biggest signal. Like, if we're doing nothing, like I, I, I tell people all the time, think about like when you're in an airplane and you fly somewhere and then you get there, how tired you are after flying. You've done nothing but sit in a, you know, yeah, you could, people could say, well, the air pressure. No, it's that you've been stagnant. And the first instinct is maybe to go to your hotel and take a nap, right? <laughs> right? Because your energy is dulled. There's been no input into the brain that require that's it's a challenge to it. So I think it's it's um, the way our life is set up, and obviously many of us are are fighting that because we intuitively know that doesn't feel great. I mean, I and I'm sure you the same way. One thing I loved about PT is I knew it wasn't going to be a desk job. I knew it's going to be active, um, and that was really really important to me from a young age. I was like, I could not sit at a desk, and it's not that I'm antsy; it's that I don't want to be stagnant. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost as if we need to give our body an education as well as our mind. And through the education we provide to our body, meaning just inserting movement, uh, our mind benefits from it. Yes. Um, I'm also wondering, so you have a program that obviously uses your PT background this mind-body connection background uh, in the neuroscience department, working with neuro rehab, and then you've come up with uh, specific routines. Um, but in general, and I, and I think I'm going to make an assumption here, but but I think a lot of what you're saying is that general movement is good. Like you don't need to have a PhD in movement. Yeah to do this. It, it's, it's sort of like giving your body what it intuitively wants. Is that correct? Exactly. Are you talking about like what I teach for instance? Well, I'm talking about in general, just so that people well, have this general, context. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I always want to welcome people into the, the, the whole, um, at the environment of movement by saying it does not have to be like when I go to corporate settings, mm-hmm. I often, my first question will be how many of you feel like you're moving enough in your daily life? Um, the percentages are so low. It's like, it's scary. Right. And then the second question I say, how many of you think of movement as something as a checklist or something that's even slightly punitive, right? Like, Oh gosh, I got to do this. I got to exercise. I got to run. And, and I said, what I want to do is invite you to think of movement as life. And that means that movement will give you more life, more energy in your life, more vitality if you just insert it a little bit more. And so I would rather have somebody move five to 10 minutes out of every hour than 
go eight hours at a desk and go to the gym for an hour because it's that's that's not bad that's good but it's still you're not going to undo those eight hours whereas those five to ten minutes inserted are going to have a a kind of a, um a compound interest effect, right? They're going to mm-hmm. just add up because you're never going to have to go like from contracted, undo it, and then contract it again. And a lot of times too, this is this will lead me into why my program is different than say other yoga, for instance. But if you go to the gym after sitting for eight hours and you just go and do a routine, your body is coming in as present, meaning contracted, compressed, Therefore, your brain is also in a different kind of starting place for that movement. So if you just go into a routine and you haven't like done a little bit of unwinding preparatory stuff from what you've been doing sitting for eight hours, the impact of that movement isn't going to be kind of much for the brain either. Yeah. Yeah. As far as the, now we can talk about more of the specifics because you have this amazing platform uh, with with video content, specific movements that people can incorporate. Um, maybe let's talk about the the what traditional yoga is, uh, mm-hmm. and how you've sort of complemented that with your background in physical therapy. And what does that practically look like? Well, I love that question. So I was practicing and originally introduced to more kind of a traditional meaning. It's just the uh, the style that was more universally, I guess, practiced and approached. And the way a lot of people looked at yoga is like, this is the way to do it. And it's like you would, so I was doing vinyasa and you started the class and you start moving and then you do, everything's in like this certain way. Like you do some standing leg stuff. And then anyway, there was, to me, as I looked at it from a PT standpoint, it was like, it didn't make sense from a sequencing, like neurological sequencing perspective. Um, and the reason being is, again, we're coming into our practice on the mat with our own imbalances. We all might have them, right? And it could be just from a couple hours before. It could be like from decades before. So we need to better set up our body to rewire better movement patterns because our brain is going to only kind of take a track that it knows well. So for example, if I'm sitting a lot, I might have, you know, my shoulders might be rounded, or Mm -hmm. I might have a lot of like feelings of neurological tension in the front of my pelvis. I go and I do, I start moving on the mat. Well, those are still there. So I probably just habitually adjusted to like, if I want my shoulders to come up, I can just push my ribs forward. And so instead of going into the movements and maybe reinforcing suboptimal habits. How about if we take some time at the beginning and reset this idea of neutral spine, neutral pelvis, how to integrate the core and breath so that then when we move in bigger ways, we have more of a chance of of rewiring that movement, meaning learning it differently that then takes us into our life so we can move differently. So that's a huge difference is, is the sequencing of this of the lit method. And because I really ultimately want people to move better in life, not just for an hour on the mat. Um, So we're using the mat as an educational platform. I'm a PT. I developed it. I have a lot of PTs who also are on our platform, but I have over 800 teachers worldwide who've been trained by me 
and they understand it. And a lot of times their students will think they're physical therapists because this is the thing I'll say. You don't have to be a PT to understand your body. <laughs> you, you should, everybody should understand their body. They should understand why knowing how to be in a more optimal alignment, optimal is not a static position. It's a spectrum mm-hmm. that, again, is setting up your, your nervous system for a more intelligent response. You know, um, if your posture isn't great, there's lots of repercussions of that. You're not going to breathe as well. Well, if you're not breathing as well, you're probably going to get more exhausted. You might go, you might actually breathe in a way that makes you more anxious. You know, there's lots of kind of sequela from the way your um, starting position is. So in lit, we always start with what's called the reset. And that's where we revisit those developmental patterns. We are on our back. We get our hips extended without tipping the pelvis, get the core integrated establish neutral spine, neutral pelvis, and then start mobilizing some of the big synovial joints to prepare them for bigger movement patterns, which we then tack on. So sequencing to me is when it's really, really important because, you know, it wasn't as necessary when we were younger and just like spongy and could take it all in, but we all have things that we might be a little bit more pre-wired to um, in ways we might move or stand or breathe, and we can change that. Again, it's that neural plasticity. Yeah, I love how you said the education happens on the mat, and then it it translates into the the day to day life. So um, maybe if uh, if if traditional yoga is a little bit more segmented, and you know you're in class, or you're not in class. I mean. Yoga with the mindfulness and breathing, and uh, I feel like people that are participating in yoga are, are much more aware of their bodies. Mm-hmm. But yes. I love I love that you're taking it to like you're infusing this element of education. And so we we talk a lot about empowering people with headaches and migraines, and um, it sounds like that's right up that alley of like empowerment. Um, how, how can you make these little changes throughout your day? And it starts with a better understanding, right? Just, um, what does your body need? How is it supposed to be? Uh, how, how can you cater to it? You know, if you're on the fast food diet and you're trying to transition to whole foods, like what, what does that transition look like from a sedentary lifestyle to movement? Um, yeah, I, I think that's really amazing. How can people, um, interact with you? I know you've got You've got a podcast, your website. Um, you've got a lot of avenues. So maybe let's let's talk about free things and uh, things that will take you to the next level. Yes, and just on that note, empower is another word I love too that we use a lot because education is empowerment. Not understanding your body and then leaving it up to the medical system to tell you what is going on. Yes, yeah. we need that. We absolutely need that. I I am you know again. My dad was a doctor. I. I'm so grateful for our medical system for the things it can do when we really need it. But there's so much we can do before we have to go to that stage. And it doesn't feel very, I mean, just think about like somebody's having knee pain and they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything. My knee hurts, my knee hurts. And then they're going to make an appointment that might take a month to make an appointment. They're probably going to move less. And really it could be like, okay, you have knee pain. Like, all right, it's probably not your knee. Let's look at something else. I mean, I have privates, you know, all over the world, and I'm sure you're the same way. And they'll come in. They're absolutely like, I'm desperate. I have, you know, pain in my upper back. And I did it. And I'm just like, okay, your body's talking to you. That's all. 
And so sometimes it's like just realizing actually the power is in your hands. It, your body isn't working against you. It really is working for you. We just don't always understand the communication that it's giving us. And so I think that's that's empowering people is that you you don't have to just wonder like what's going on w- with the stuff in my body. You can at least have a little more knowledge. And like you said, take it into daily life. How to hinge at the hips. I mean, we know this is fundamental in PT, but... In, in yoga, everybody's moving in their pelvis, like pretty much. And it's like, hey, let's move your hips. It's going to help you when you lift the groceries, when you pick your baby up off the ground, et cetera, et cetera. So people can find a lot of my stuff for free on my YouTube channel, which is highly disorganized, we'll say right now, because it's got so much stuff on it. Um, but if you go to the little collections thing, you can look for free videos. So we'll have, okay. we have a lot of free videos in there. We have like our top 10 injury um, prevention videos that are short and, and more postural videos and other things. We also have my podcast videos on there. So that's on the lit yoga method, um, YouTube. That's all that's for free. We have a free two week trial. Um, and we just had a beautiful added bonus to that. So our platform is two weeks. We, if you join, you will get email support in the form of, Here's what you can choose if you would like a beginner level, an intermediate level, an advanced level. Those levels are not you. You are not a beginner. You're not intermediate. It's what you would like to take. A beginner level means it's going to go slower. It's going to have more education to it. Um, and then, you know, extrapolate from there. And it's it's a lit launch pad. So it really, uh, there's some videos that talk a lot about the the language we use. What does triple S mean, which is the skull, scapula, and sacrum, and how you find neutral spine etc. So that's all in the first two weeks. That's free. And then if you join, um, after the first two weeks, you get a free 30 minute consultation with a movement specialist so that we have, again, a lot of people on the platform. They've all been trained by me and they will help you like hear from you, meet with you like over zoom. What are some things that you, you know, like what are your goals, any concerns you have? And then that person will help guide you and give you cues or tips for some specific stuff. So that's really lovely too, because we really want people to um, try us out and try out something and know if you're challenged, that's great. Like when people leave the platform and they do a survey, a lot of times they'll say, this was too challenging. And I'm like, we need more challenge in our life. It's challenging because it's challenging to move in a variety of ways if you're not used to doing that. It's challenging to hold your center with stability in big movement patterns if you're not used to doing that. But there's men, we have over 500 classes, lots of different, um, you know, it's it just go to the filter and put beginner 15 minute hip and, you know, you'll, you'll get that. So it's, it's really fun and it's been a labor of love for sure, but we have uh, people from all over the world on it. That's, that's absolutely incredible. I, I love the, this digital age where you can have your education at your fingertips through the internet. And, um, it also makes it very affordable. I mean, you think about, you know, pre-internet if, if, uh, it's just working one-on-one and I'm sure your time would be a lot more valuable than what you are charging people to go through a process. Like Um, my privates are way more money and you could go honestly. And, and that's what I'll tell some people. I'll be like, you can do one session with me and that's pretty much, I think all you'll need. And then I'll just help you on the platform decide because that's, um, yeah. Then, you know, I also say people 
like this is not an area that you should shortchange yourself financially. Like I will do everything for my health before I would buy other things. You know, that to me, this is like whether it's, you know, movement or um, food, et cetera, like this is where I'm going to spend my money. And I think it's, you know, I'm I'm not better than anybody else, but I've, I've seen, you know, in the PT, when you've seen people whose life changes overnight from disease, from um, kind of a catastrophic event, whatever it is, it is just encoded. I never take anything for granted and nothing really matters if you don't have your health. So like that should be priority number one, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because how do you enjoy the other stuff of life if yeah, uh, you absolutely. don't have your health? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's right there. I mean, that empowerment, the education, just um, it's not a transaction where you're paying like the person on the other side is withholding information. And that's, we try to partner with people that have an yeah. abundance mentality, right? Uh, totally. So I, just, I share everything. I have a teacher training also, by the way. So I have a 200 and a 300 hour um, teacher training. So 500 hours of training and I share everything. Cause it's like, why wouldn't you? It's like, I want to share it on social media for free. I want to share it on my platform. Um, because I, if it can help you know, anyone a little bit more than they, where they are. I, it's so important. Yeah. We're not, yeah. we're not being more powerful by withholding. We're just being stingy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we, we have that same mentality. We just had a team yeah. meeting and I said, guys, we, there's, there's a ton of people, uh, to a greater extent than, than we'll ever really know that are really being impacted by what we're doing. And that sharing in abundance is really a great thing. And, and what it does is it builds value so that people, um, they end up, appreciating what you do enough to, to actually purchase your services or whatever that may be. So, um, thank you for the work that you do. One final thing, I'll say this in my intro, but our audience are people that are suffering with headaches and migraines. So, uh, neck pain, shoulder pain. Um, so speak, speak to that person and apply this to them, uh, so that they know that we're speaking to them. And this isn't, this isn't like some other person that's, that's out there in the universe. Um, this is for the people that are having this type of pain. Absolutely. I mean, I, this is for anyone with any type of pain and that could be headaches, which is, you know, like really life disturb, like stopping life disturbing. I mean, um, I just taught a class and I had a woman on there afterwards say like, I have been so down for the last three weeks because I've been having migraines hmm. and this just, this class just gave me hope. And, and that's, again, it, it sounds so hokey, but I think if you know in deep within that your body is working for you it might just need some better input but there is such hope it's just go to someone like you are with Jono um and get the information for how to better you know move breathe take care of yourself uh, because your body is telling you something with that and it's not that you're bad it's just that 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 communication um, isn't so clear. And that's that that can be really challenging. But please have hope because, you know, I, I've seen so many people, especially over the last three years with chronic pain, um, chronic regional pain syndrome, which is very, very, uh, very tough. And the modern medical model does not treat it well. And, you know, a lot of what I've done with them that has been effective is what, you know, their moms could do, which is basically just say, you're going to be okay. Like that, you mm -hmm. need to know that first. I think 
the way the medical system is set up is it's telling you all that's wrong instead of telling you, you know, what what can be improved. And that's, I think, the flip side that, that you know, you and, and me and other physical therapists who have gone into a different direction than like just a traditional clinic is that's what we're trying to impart is through education and, and our experience we want to share that, yeah, have hope, you absolutely can feel better. Yeah, that's, I think we'll end there because that's a, that's an amazing message. Let's focus on the things that can be improved because that's where we're going to find the hope we're looking for. Thank yeah. you so much, Laura, for being on the Headache Doctor podcast. I know people will find this message to be empowering, educational, and I hope that uh, they find you and, uh, and, and all the benefits that you offer. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. 